Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives. How many believe that's good scripture? Amen. We could leave now. We could, that'd be worth coming out for. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it. What's, what's he presenting? The church. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. From this text today, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to us about this, this title. It's meant to captivate our attention if I can. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? Jesus loves the church. He gave himself for it. He is bringing it into perfection for the day of presentation as his spotless bride. And you and I have an opportunity to be part and parcel of that project. Jesus loves the church. He gave himself for it. And we are being perfected in Christ. And one day we're going to stand before him as a perfect bride to the glory of his name. Lord, I'm asking you to bless your people today. You have already blessed your word. You have anointed it. And you have gathered us together in this room to receive strength and encouragement from your word and your spirit. And so I ask today that these words of Paul will be fresh and ring anew in our ears and reverberate in our hearts to bring glory and honor to you in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Isn't she lovely? Anybody heard the song? Candace is going to admit that she doesn't always listen to Caleb. She sometimes listens to something else. Anybody ever, anybody else? Jan, uh, 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 Sheila, you've heard the song. Isn't she lovely? Um, it's a 1976 anthem. Anybody know who sang it? Nobody knows? Brother Moser, do you know? Rebecca, did you say it? Steve, you want to, it's hard to tell who's talking with your mask on, and I appreciate you wearing them, but uh, unless you just do your eyebrows up really big, it's hard, it's hard to tell. So Stevie Wonder wrote this song. Uh, does anybody know who it was written for? You are a great, never go against Sister Rebecca in music trivia. She's ready to rumble. Uh, Aisha was Stevie's daughter. Her name was Aisha Morris, and this was part of Stevie's uh, uh, album called Songs in the Key of Life. I love that title for an album, Songs in the Key of Life. Initially, his song was over six minutes long. It actually opened with a recording, Brother Mullins, of a baby crying as it was being born. They actually got permission from a mother to record a live birth, and they got the very first cry of a baby as it was born. And they edited out all the extraneous sounds and got that baby's real cry on record. Um, then he sings a song, and uh, the, the, that's the intros of Baby Crying. The outro, while Stevie is playing that classic harmonica, and I, if I played a clip from the song, you'd recognize it instantly if you've ever heard it on the radio. Uh, Stevie played all the instruments, basically, on the, all the tracks. And he played the harmonica, and as he was playing this harmonica, you can hear, if you listen carefully, there's splashing sounds like water, where Brother Richard, he's actually bathing his daughter. The parents were bathing the daughter, and he put that in the song because it was meant to just be a family song. And he actually did not release it to the radio because it was private to them, 
And he just put it on the album. He didn't make a single, but people kept asking for it because the people who bought the, back when we bought vinyl, don't, don't admit if you remember that, Sister Candice. You don't, look, you don't look like you remember that, but there used to be these things they called vinyl records. And people were demanding that they get that single on the radio. And do you know, Brother Willie, that song resonated with people so much that it got into the top 40 when they condensed it down to a three-minute version and let it be on the radio. It went straight to the top 40 because people love that song. Isn't she lovely? I'm borrowing Mr. Wonder's title today because I think it's a wonderful title to reflect on. And, and I, I'm, I'm borrowing from his title today, but I'm also borrowing a couple of concepts from his song. Because when people hear, isn't she lovely, a lot of people think that he's immediately talking about a romantic relationship. But it's a family relationship that he's talking about. And I want to remind you of that. And this song, it actually begins in a season when... I realized to him and to the child's mother, it was a beautiful child, but there was a lot of screaming involved. There were probably a lot of diapers involved. There were probably a lot of sleepless nights involved. If they were anything like Wes or Ben or Jude, I can tell you that Mr. Wonder didn't sleep in 1976 the same way as he did before, uh, if that's when the indeed Aisha was born, because there was some inconvenience. And then the outro to the song has uh, that beautiful harmonica, but it's also... It's also uh, a time of, you know, you got to care for Aisha. You got you to bathe her. And there's the beauty and wonder of her little life. But Stevie didn't miss that. In the middle of all the stuff that was going on, Sheila, in the middle of all the sleepless nights, in the middle of all the dirty diapers and the, you know, get the laundry all stacked up. This is our phase at our house. Get everything stacked up and ready to put away in the shelves. And you got a half-life of about three and a half minutes before one of the twins finds it and wants to help you with the laundry. And then everything goes back into a state of disorder and entropy. If you ever thought that God did not create the universe and that order came out of disorder, come to my house for an afternoon and I can disprove the theory of evolution in 30 seconds by watching our twins. Because what is ordered will become disordered with, as time goes on when, when they're in their presence. And so it's just disorder rather than order if you, if you don't involve it. But Mr. Wonder, he didn't get caught up in all that and he saw his daughter Aisha as being lovely. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? Now, I have here on the, on the sermon slide not a baby who's crying, not uh, a young one who has to be dressed, but this is a moment of, of, of glory for any woman who gets to participate in a wedding, especially if it's a, a special time that she can dress up and all of that. And, and, and we'll get to that in a moment because as you are probably aware, the church is referred to in the scripture as a bride. It's one of the metaphors that scripture uses. There are many metaphors. The bride is not the only one. We are compared to a building. We are compared to being living or lively stones. Peter said, an edifice that is built up together. And Paul said that every joint supplies what it needs. If you've ever driven down the road and watched as framework came up in a building and those carpenters and builders and architects were working together to frame a house, I'm always fascinated by it, Brother Moser, because when I pass by, I, I see the, like, the blueprints I can see and I'm really clueless on that. And then when I pass by the frame and I'm like, that looks too little. That doesn't look like it'd be a nice house. And, but then when the sheetrock comes in, I can kind of tell a little bit about it. And then when it's finished, it, it looks awesome. 
But if you've ever passed by that and saw how that building fits together, that's how we are as a church. And just like the, the house that you pass by and you can't judge it while it's being uh, while it's being constructed, unless you're really sharp and understand those things. It's important to understand that those builders, by the time they're finished, if everything is fitly framed together, it's going to be a beautiful edifice that will stand the test of time. So it is with the church. So it is with the church. Sometimes, Scott, it may not look like much as it's being constructed. But if you'll stick around and allow the Lord to do his work and we all fit together, it won't be long, Brother Mullister. It's a place of, of glory for God. It's an edifice for the Lord. Another metaphor is the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you, if you, I, I, I've got a blackberry vine at our home and I love it. Jana jokes at me a lot because I just love to plant things. I just love to watch things grow. And I have to plant a lot of things because I'm not very good at it. And some of it doesn't grow so much, but I enjoy that. But those blackberry vines, the first year I planted it, Preston, I didn't have much uh, of a vine. It was small. But it began to grow, and then this last year, the first year, honestly, I had enough blackberries. I could have fit it in one hand. Didn't even have to take two hands. But last year, I was able to make a cobbler with the blackberries that we had. Not too many cobblers, but I was able to make one at least. And so this year, the vine has grown. Sometimes when a church begins to grow... It's important, as Scripture says, to not despise the day of small beginnings because sometimes things begin, as they begin to grow, you can misjudge them. But if God continues to be in it and we continue to dwell in Christ, we can grow and be fruitful in Him. We're compared to sheep in a sheepfold and that's another metaphor of the church and, and we are to stick together like sheep do. We're to obey the voice of the shepherd, uh, the great shepherd as, as sheep do. We're members of a body, members of a body. Finally, we turn from the mammalian world to the human world. And Paul says the eye and the hand and, and the nose and the ear all have their place. Willie, before you came, our body was not complete. You're special. Nobody can do Willie like you are. Nobody can be the guy that you are. And we were missing you before you came. And so every member that comes and then when, when other folks come in and they, they embrace their place in the body of Christ, we'll say, man, how do we do that before Bob or Susie or Bill came along? Because that's how the Lord works. He puts his body together. But in our text, we find the crowning description of the church. The, the highest metaphor, the capstone, if you will, of Scripture and what it has to say about you and about me. It is the height of the intimacy that God desires with his people and the beauty and the glory that he has placed in the church as it is. I just want to make a statement in passing here today that if you look at Genesis 1, uh, God makes incredibly complex things, the stars and the planets and inorganic nature is at its height and its glory. And then God continues to build more complex things. And, and then we come to the grass and the trees and, 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 and plant life and, and all the beautiful structures that are built. And then, and then you turn to mammalian life and bird life that he makes. And, and even the, I mean, just think about a peacock or an eagle or, or a lion and all the different creatures that God has made in the earth. But then he makes a man and, 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 and what a, what an amazing and intelligent creation. And, and it's getting more and more complex and beautiful and wonderful. And then after he's finished with man, he turns around and he makes a woman. And I just want to say that I believe that God saved the best for last. 
Scripture has a very high view of women. And I believe that his most beautiful and glorious creation was the woman. And I believe that's one of the reasons why he chose to describe the church as a bride. Isn't she lovely? Now, this is not a marriage seminar today, but it's worth noting that husbands are commanded uh, to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There's a lot of talk today about how submitted women should be to their husbands. And I'd like to say that there's not probably enough talk about how husbands should give themselves for their wives and love their, their wives. I believe that if I love Jana the way that I should, that getting along with me is, would, would be easier than it probably is sometimes. <laughs> we, we need to... How many husbands would say we need to love our wives? And we'll just, we'll just stop there because uh, I'm, uh, I'm not the world's greatest teacher on, on any topic. But uh, many of you have uh, uh, longer and, and successful marriages that are wonderful. So I just want to say in passing that, that, that Paul says we are to love our wives and give themselves for her. That's the example that Christ said. That's the example that Christ uh, gave to the church. He gave himself for the church. I want to make something perfectly clear today. And if you just walk out with one theme from this sermon today, remember this. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. And if you are part of the church today, that means that Jesus loves you. He gave himself for it. The Bible says that he gave himself for it. Jesus said, they're not going to take my life. I will lay down my life and I will pick it up again. Don't be confused and think that the story of Jesus is a story of religious persecution. Don't be confused and think that it's a story of, of, a, of a heavy-handed Roman government putting down a nascent rebellion and getting the wrong guy and crucifying Jesus rather than Barabbas. No, no, don't get it as a story of personal betrayal where one of the insiders said, I can make 30 pieces of silver by selling out the master. No, the story of Jesus is the story of a God who loved his people so much that he said, I will come to earth as a man, as a human being. I will put human flesh on and I will walk among them. I'll be tempted like they're tempted. I will be tried as they were tried. I'll be lonely. I'll be depressed. I'll be, I'll be spat upon. I'll be mocked. I'll be loved. I'll be hated. I'll be misunderstood. There'll be people who are loyal to me and people who turn their back on me because it's their experience. It's their road. And I want to walk it. That wasn't enough. He said, I will pay the penalty for sin. And he laid down his life. Every time you've been sick and you called on the name of Jesus, please remember that he willingly allowed them to tie him to a post and to beat his back with a cat of nine tails. Every time that you go before the master and you say, Lord, I messed up again and I did something I shouldn't have done or, or Lord, I, I, I knew I should have spoken to that person, encouraged them and I let the opportunity pass me by. Or every time you say, Lord, I lost my temper again or I overspent and I did this or I did that or every time you come before the throne of grace please remember that he willingly allowed that crown of thorns to be pressed into his forehead he willingly laid down his hands that they might nail them to the cross because just as we talked about on Thursday night he knew that your sins and my sins needed to be nailed to that cross in order that the handwriting of ordinances were, which were against us could be blotted out by his blood I'm so thankful 
thankful that Jesus loved me enough and he loved you enough. I'm so thankful that he didn't look at it as a religious club. He didn't look at it just as a group of people. He didn't look at it just as a sociological event that was good for people. But he believed in his church and he loved his church and he gave himself for it. Why don't we thank the Lord that he was willing? He was willing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We heard it last week. I, I, you know, uh, I, I, I like baseball. I, I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but I like baseball. And uh, I'm having a good year because the team I like is the Dodgers. They're world champions, if you didn't know. And they just signed a baseball player this week. And this year, if I've got the numbers correct, they're going to pay him $41 million to play baseball. It's unlikely he'll pitch in 41 games because the starting pitcher only pitches about every five days. So Brother Richard, he probably is going to get more than a million dollars every time he steps on the mound. And some people say, they get so mad and they, they say, oh, it's not worth it, it's not worth it. And, and economists will look at you and say, of course it's worth it because it's what somebody will pay. Should you charge somebody $2 an hour or $2,000 an hour? It, it depends on what they'll pay you. Sheila, somebody will pay you $100 an hour to, uh, to write letters. Take the job if they'll pay you because, you know, it's, it's, you're worth what they will pay you in, in the open. Y'all understand what I'm saying? We heard it last week when Jonathan preached on name your price. How do you value something? You value something according to what somebody will pay for it. You value something according to what somebody will pay for it in, in our open economy, right? Mr. Bezos, I've heard, is getting ready for retirement. I think you said something about that. Brother Mark, and I think I saw that on my news feed. He's getting ready for retirement. I looked up today the cap value of Amazon. The cap value of Amazon today is $1.7 trillion. Trillion. He's done pretty well for himself, huh? Because, and is it worth it? Well, I don't know. As of December 2020, that would have made Amazon the most expensive or valuable company in the world, even ahead of Saudi Arabia oil, which in December was the most expensive now, I don't know how the values have changed, and I'm not an economist, so don't quote me and say he got up there and said something wrong. But suffice to say, it's a very expensive company because people will pay for it. But do you want to know something? I know an entity that is worth far more than Amazon. I know an entity that is worth far more than Saudi Arabia Oil or Microsoft or Apple or Google or any other corporation. I know a body that is worth more than that. And I'm looking at those people right now because the gospel, according to Peter, in Peter's letter, he said that you have not been redeemed. You've not been bought with gold or silver or corruptible things, but you have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It took more than Amazon to cover our sins. It took more than Microsoft or, or Google or Apple to make it available to you and me today that we could lift holy hands, as Paul said, without wrath or without doubting. In order for me to stand here today before you in good conscience and in good faith, it took precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that he loves his church. I'm so thankful that he values his church. I'm so thankful that God has placed value in the church. The worth of Amazon, it doesn't compare. It's apples and oranges and not even close because those are both fruits. There's no way to make the comparison because Jesus gave his life for his church. It is valuable. Now, I'm just going to be um, a little more transparent in the next five minutes or so. And I, 
I don't want to offend anybody today, but I want to be very clear about this. Not everybody sees the church as Jesus sees it. The church has its critics outside its doors. And the church sometimes has its critics inside our hearts. And there are some times, because, you know, we don't always see, it's kind of like Mr. Wonder, you know, the woman doesn't always look like this. This is the finest hour, right? This is the, you know, there's hairdressers behind this picture. There's, there's people that have kept that train out of the mud behind this picture. There's, there's, there's people that have, you know, hopefully this lady before her special day had an opportunity to go to the spa and get her nails done or, or whatever. But we don't always live like this. And sometimes you and I, sometimes people outside our doors can look at the church and that's you and that's me. And we can even look at one another and sometimes we can, we can feel like, well, you know, Sometimes we don't see the church in the light that Jesus sees it. I'm saying we, okay? Every, everybody all right? I'm not pointing fingers here, but what I am saying, and if I am, I'm just going to point fingers at me, but I'm going to say it this way. It would behoove us to value the church as Jesus values the church because he sets the value on what the church is worth. Jim, I can't get torn out with you and think, you know what? That Jim Mullins, you know, he thinks he's something or he thinks he's something. The reason I'm leaving... <laughs> I could use any of you guys for the examples, but Jim's a great guy. But the truth, and there's, there's not a, a problem here. But you know what? I, if you and I do have a conflict, Brother Jim, and we may as we go along, but you know what? I've got to value you because you're part of the body of Christ. I don't, you know, if I've got a, if I've got a hangnail on my thumb, I don't go out to the shop and find a skill saw and take care of it. I, t you know, I wrap that thing up and I get some ointment. Why? Because and even though my thumb has caused me problems, I value my thumb because it's part of me. I would to God today that every one of us would value one another and we would always care about one another and we would always pray for one another and we would always value each other because we are part of each other and and Jesus values his church. Aren't you thankful for the church today? Aren't you thankful? Hey, I'll easily admit the church is not perfect. I'm so glad the church is not perfect. If, 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 if I weren't behind the microphone, I would, I would probably just run around the building with exuberance today and zeal. You'd like to see that when you press it. You'd probably get out that video like you did with, with uh, Harrison and the bull, you know. But, I, you know, I'm glad the church isn't perfect because if the church were perfect, I couldn't be part of it. If the church were 100% were, were flawless, I'd have to leave. And, and I don't mean to be rude here, but, you know, I'm looking at some people who couldn't belong either if it were perfect. Because God uses imperfect people. God loves imperfect people. God works through imperfect people. You know why he does that? Because that's the only kind of people that there are. But God is willing to condescend and to love us and to use us and to work through us if we're willing to be part of the church. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're probably going to need to move on. If you're looking for people who are flawless, you're probably going to be disappointed because finding that in this life is tough. This church has one perfect saint, one perfect member, one perfect person who never causes any problems. She's in heaven. Her name is Sandy. Sandy is a perfect saint because she's with Jesus today. And one day we're going to join her and we'll be just as perfect as she is. But until we get there, let's have some patience with one another. Let's love one another. Let's, be, let's forbear with one another because Jesus loves us and we need to love one another. Don't let imperfection of individuals 
deceive you into a misassignment of value. What a fool I would be if somebody said, the museum called, they don't want the Hope Diamond anymore, all 75 carats or whatever it is. They decided it's too expensive to keep. They'd like to give it to you. And they bring it to my house. And I say, Hope Diamond, boy, that's nice, blue diamond, big. Mm, I don't think I like it. That's heavy. I can't wear that on my hand. Or if I looked at it, Rebecca, and I said, I see a flaw in that on the back side. I don't think I want that Hope Diamond. Here, you can take it back. How foolish would that be to reject the Hope Diamond? If somebody drove a Rolls Royce up to my house and I said, well, it looks like there's 37 pounds in the front tire over there. Looks like there's 43 over there. No, I don't want it. It's not perfect. Brand new Rolls Royce. I'd probably need to sell it so I could pay the taxes on the gift. April 15th coming up and everything. But it'd be nice to have that problem, wouldn't it? But I'm not going to reject the car because of a perceived imperfection. I don't know how many, you know, when the flood started coming, I don't know if somebody expected a carnival cruise ship or they looked at the ark and said, Noah, I'm unsatisfied with how you got my cabin set up. I don't think I'm going to step on board because that's a little too close to the zebras and they kind of smell bad or that's a little too close to the, to the blue jays and I don't, I'm not sure I can sleep. I'm a really light sleeper, Noah. When it started raining, the one place to be was on the ark and whether there was plush leather around or whether it was roof hoon timber I'm going to tell you being on that ark was the right place to be and as this world winds up I want to encourage you today that even though there are going to be some rough moments in the church even though there are going to be some times when we have to adjust to one another even though there are going to be some times when I may uh, get on your nerves or vice versa or maybe be some times when we don't understand the price that we have to pay sometimes to be part of God's body here's the bottom line there's one way out of this world that is going to take us from here to glory and it's called the church and I want to value the body of Christ I want to value what God gave his only begotten son for I want to value what Jesus laid down his life for and I want to value what the saints and the martyrs have kept pure through the ages I want to value the church I want to value the church tabernacle wasn't beautiful on the outside badger skins but there was gold on the inside and that was 364 days. But on that 365th day, when that Shekinah came down and the high priest was there on the day of atonement, what a moment inside that tabernacle. And every single Sunday, we have an opportunity to receive the same experience when God's power begins to move among us. I realize we don't have the, the biggest uh, setup in the world. And I realize we don't have the largest auditorium. And I realize we may not have the most fashionable people that a society could assemble. But I want to tell you today that where two or three are gathered, that Jesus is in the midst of them. And when his glory is manifest, the church is a special place. The church is a valuable place. The church is a place to love. The cross was an embarrassment and a shame to prevailing culture. They expected a triumphant king or a mighty warrior, but it was the bridge from damnation to reconciliation with God. And I do not want to despise what God has made beautiful. And just as I don't want to despise the cross, I do not want to despise the church that it built, but I want to love the church just like Jesus loved it. And when I'm saying the church, I'm not talking about some big abstract thing that's out there. I'm talking about people that I'm looking at and people that I'm talking to and people that I'm listening to. I want to value you because you are the body of Christ. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But everybody that is in the church is being perfected. Sheila, 
I don't know if I can make a catalog of your flaws or not. You'd probably do a better job than I could. We could compare notes. I don't have a whole lot of things in mind. You'd probably say some of mine. We could sit down and trade notes if we wanted to. But the truth is, you're not as good as you're going to be. And I'm not as good as I'm going to be. But you hide around and watch. Because you come around next year and I intend to be a better Christian than I am right now today. I hope I'm a better Christian than I was last year. I hope you'll pray for me because although I have been justified with Christ, my, my legal standing with God is okay because I stand in the righteousness of Jesus. I have traded my damnation for his reconciliation. I've traded my sin for his righteousness. I, I've traded my insufficiency for his sufficiency. So although I am justified, it's going to take a while for me to get sanctified. It's going to take a while for my flesh to keep up with this, what the Spirit has done. It's going to take a while for my mind to be renewed in Christ so that I always respond as he does. So please be patient with me while God is working on me. Please pray for me that I can be better and I'll pray for you and let's go to heaven together because we're going to get better. Although we're not perfect, we are being perfected. I've got a strong message of encouragement for somebody in the church today. If you faced a besetting sin, if you faced a difficulty, if you faced a weakness, if you faced fear and anxiety and uncertainty or depression or a lack of self-esteem or maybe you've dealt with pride or maybe you've dealt with sin or shame or condemnation. I want to tell you today, stay in the church. God is perfecting the church. Stay in the boat. God will get you through the storm. Stay with the cross. God will see you to the other side. Stay with the Lord because he is perfecting his bride. We've been made right with God, but he's currently helping us to work out the consequences of that righteousness in our daily living, our thoughts, our emotions, our speech, our actions, our relationship, our stewardship of resources, of strength, health, talent, time, and treasure. God is still working with us. You remember that children's Sunday school song? He's still working on me. That's a good song to sing. That's a good song to sing. It's a good song to sing, Richard, and think about me because it'll help you to think about me, that God's still working on him. And it's a good song to think about you, to, to, to have a little mercy on yourself. Sometimes we got mercy for everybody else, but we don't have mercy for ourselves. And we damn ourselves and condemn ourselves. But I've got great news for the church. Oh, I could jump up and down and I, I am in the inside. John said, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. But if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. I want to encourage you today. God, God, God has a way for you. He loves you and he loves his church. Stand with me today. She's standing outside the sanctuary. Everybody's standing. They're playing, they're playing that, uh, that tune, that German march. It's, it's called the wedding march and, and I, could, I could do four notes for you. Dun, 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 dun. And you know exactly what I'm talking Four notes. Four notes and you got the song. And everybody's standing on their feet and, and here she is and, and she's had her spa day and Spa week or whatever. Esther had a spa six months. You like that job? That was awesome. And so she's, she's learned what the king likes. And she's, she's got on a beautiful gown. The attention's been paid. And the detail's all there. And, and her hair's all done just perfect. And everything is nice. And, and, and no matter, I, I've been to a lot of weddings. I really have. And I can say this before God with an honest face. I have never seen a bride who wasn't beautiful. Because as pretty as that woman can be, most of those brides are just as pretty as they're ever going to be that day. And you, you just see the radiance and the joy of the expectation on their face. Isn't she lovely? I'm telling you, when they walk down that aisle, you ladies that have, that have had your wedding day, I congratulate you. And, and, and all of you are, are, are still beautiful and still wonderful. But I'm telling you, on that special day, I, I just love looking at wedding pictures. I love looking at the, the look in that bridegroom's eye as he sees that, that lady and, and says, man, th this, this was worth it. 
she, she's worth it. She, she's lovely to me. But I'm telling you, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when the prophecy of Ephesians is going to be fulfilled. And Rebecca, you and I are going to stand. And there's not going to be a spot on our glorious robe of righteousness. There's not going to be a weakness on that day. There's not going to be any more temptation. There's not going to be any more trial. There's not going to be any more persecution, Candace. There's not going to be any more circumstances that we can't control. And, and, and all the universe is going to be watching. And, and the Bible tells us that on that day, every knee is going to be genuflected. And every tongue is going to be moving forth with the praise of Jesus for the glory of the Father. Everybody, There's not going to be any more critics of the church on that day. There won't be anybody saying... There's hypocrites on that day. There won't be anybody saying you're not as good as you think you are on that day. Because I'm telling you, when we walk, when we walk into the new heaven and the new earth and the bridegroom says, come, what a day, what a glorious day that's going to be. When my Jesus, I shall see, I'll look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. I want to love the church the way that Jesus loved. I want to be part of that bride. Don't give up your seat at the wedding. Don't give up your ticket on the boat. Don't give up your transformation on the cross. Don't give up your entry into the tabernacle. Don't, in a moment of discouragement, get disgusted with yourself or disgusted with your brother or your sister and decide that you want to check out because it's a glorious trip. I'm going to stand before God one day and He's going to say, what about Rebecca? What about Alexandra? What about Candace? What about Jim? What about Sheila? I could name every name. I'm going to have to give an account. Here's what I want to say. He's right over there. He made it all the way home because he loved the church just like you loved it. Willie's standing right over there, Lord. He, he came in as an elder, but he, but he loved you to the day of his death. Sheila loves you to the death, Lord. She, 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 she stayed with you all the way. Alexandra, she loved you. She, she's been her whole life serving you. That's what I want to be able to say. Scott, Scott, he, he was faithful. He, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's be part of the church. And I want to be able to say, Lord, I did my part. I loved your people just like you loved them. Do you love the church today? Why don't we thank the Lord? Why don't we thank the Lord for redeeming us? Why don't we thank the Lord for caring about us? Why don't we thank the Lord for creating such a beautiful bride? Isn't she lovely? I'll answer it. She is lovely. Lord, your bride is beautiful and I want to be part of her. I want to be part of her today. You can respond as you wish. I just wish you'd spend some time asking the Lord to make you a better part of his bride. And I wish you'd spend some time thanking God for allowing this beautiful church that we have to accept us and love us that we can be a part of his body today. As Janice sings, let's worship and praise the Lord for the beautiful bride that he is making in us.